Welcome to the Small Business Big Life Podcast. My name is Derek Van Ness, and I'm the lead wealth strategist and founder at Big Life Financial, where we use innovative tax and financial strategies to help business owners keep more of the money they make and be a whole lot smarter at growing it. We believe every person has something unique and valuable to bring to the world, but far too often money stops them from sharing those gifts. We're here to fix that problem by helping people get money out of the way so they can unleash their full potential on the world. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll even reveal how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspirational podcasts on the planet. So let's get this thing started now. Well, welcome again, everybody. This is Derek Van Ness, your host with the Small Business Big Life Podcast, and we're bringing you another power-packed episode. Super excited today to talk with a very multifaceted man. He's uh, had multiple companies, got multiple disciplines, and before the show, we were having some pretty cool uh, discourse, so I'm excited about that. So today's guest is Axel Meyerhofer. Axel, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Derek. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to dig into this because you and I have some some pretty uh, aligned ideas, and and I kind of want to tap into your your wisdom here. But before I do that, for the people who don't know who you are, could you tell us a little bit about who you are as a human, your business experience, and uh, kind of where you're coming from and how they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, well, my accent, and I'm originally from Germany. So I came to the United States with the Air Force. I was an Air Force officer for 22 years and then retired uh, in around 2000 and wanted to see what the so-called business world had in store for me. So I became an executive for a software company. It was pretty eye-opening to be honest and <laughs> after about four years of that I decided well maybe I can actually do some of those things better than I see them done in the military or I saw them in this company and on top of that I took it upon myself because everybody said you have to have certain degrees certain academic prowess to be recognized so I just wanted to get a master's degree but then the dean of the university talked me into keep continuing you're on a roll and stuff like that so ended up getting a phd in leadership and organizational change so with that theoretical the military experience and the the being an employee experience i started my own business in 2005 and that was mainly i thought going to be helping companies in the defense industry to do something and it's a long story but through some unbelievable incidences and coincidences, um, I ended up in the life science industry and became more and more an expert. And it's kind of like a little bit like we hear in marketing, right, where they say you have to pick a niche, and then you become better and better in your niche. I didn't really pick it, I felt totally like I've been thrown into it. But by now, like many years, decades later, I have actually really developed that expertise. And it's now being recognized and companies come to me and say, hey, can you help us with these issues, oftentimes small to medium sized pharmaceutical companies. And in this whole idea or in this whole approach of doing my own business, I asked the question, okay, what do I do or what can I do for my own retirement? And as I said, I started in 2005, so only two or three years removed from the dot-com bust. So for me, in my mind, stocks were not really an option, right? So then the question became, what else could it be? And I discovered first for myself and then over the years telling friends and, and colleagues and so forth about it, that real estate is really the area that I want to be in. And then Malcolm Gladwell's approach, you know, how do you become an expert? You do 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 hours in it. And that's what I've done and developed a strategy 
because I live, as you asked me, Derek, you know, where do you live? I'm in the San Diego area, and that's pretty expensive, like most areas along the coast. So mm -hmm. it obvious investing here and getting any kind of productivity or performance wouldn't really work. So I needed to go somewhere else. And so the strategy that we are actually proposing or, or encouraging our mentoring clients and, and people who want our help is called the Outer State Turnkey Residential Real Estate Investing Strategy. And I know that's a mouthful. <laughs> and uh, so if people want to actually, for example, have a conversation with me and say, hey, I want to find out in a little more detail what it is and is it potentially something for me, they can go on our website, ideawealthgrower.com. And there's a little button where they can actually put in uh, just click on it and it basically gives you access to my calendar and you can book a session there or you can go, which I really hope people will do, your audience will do, and I will encourage our audience as well um, to go to the YouTube channel. Just go on YouTube, put an idea wealth grower, and we have more than 100 videos with all kinds of training and explanations about that strategy and how it applies to regular people. Okay. And just to be totally clear, Axel, it's idea wealth grower. Not ide I or ideal. 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 Yes. Ideal wealth grower. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So wow. So so many things to to dig in on there. And before we do that, I always like to start. You've had a lot of experiences, right? Military and uh, defense and real estate in your own business and being an employee and all these different things. If you could give the listener out there a, a piece of advice about, we'll just say finding success, whatever that means. Uh, what what has really been a good maxim for you or something that you really words to live by uh, in your life that you could share? Yeah, what I would say is be the creator of your own journey and your own future. And don't be influenced by all the kinds of stuff that could come from the outside and deter you in whichever way that might apply. Be the creator of your own journey towards your own future. Wow. So powerful idea. Let me just ask you and break that down a little bit for, for execution's sake. How, how do you go about not being influenced by people? Because certainly people are a huge influence in our lives and in the economy and all the things that are going on right now, right? Those are definitely influencing people. How do you manage to, to kind of stay on your own path and not get swayed as you're trying to execute that idea? Well, for me, there are two things um, relevant to that. The first one is and you can do this on your own or you can seek help like a mentor, like I love mentoring and coaching people, is to find out initially as one of the first and really most important uh, things is what is your goal? Mm -hmm. How do you want your future to actually look like? So we have coined a term uh, that I call the time freedom point. Right? And what I mean by time freedom point is the point in time on the calendar somewhere in the future where your passive income, in our case, because we are in, in the investment space, reaches a point that covers all your expenses and the things you want to do with the time you have so that you have the freedom to decide, what do I do? That can include keep going to work and work eight, nine, 10 hours a day, or it could mean I don't want to do this kind of work anymore. I want to travel. I want a garden. I want to be a painter, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And so that's that point in the future. And if you can paint a picture, draw a picture, make a vision board, whatever is appropriate for you as a person to begin visualize how that life at the point or shortly after you reach that time freedom point looks like. Mm -hmm. Then either you can do this by yourself or you can do it with the help of a mentor. Um, 
then you have that picture. And then the second part of that is, again, you can, when you say, okay, why the, what Axel ex explains or what Derek explains sounds good to me, now I go and do the research on my own and spend those 10, 20, 30,000 hours until you feel confident enough to say, I make informed decisions. Or you can connect with somebody like me or you and say, okay, I work with somebody who has put that time in and who kind of has a connection with me. We have like a, a vibe that works, right? Because mm -hmm. I have a certain style that's pretty direct, pretty factual, pretty clear A to B. Other people are a little less forceful maybe. And some people like my style, some people might like your style better or even another person's style, but find somebody that's the alternative to doing all these thousands and thousands of hours of research. Find somebody you trust and like to work with and let them help you accelerate so that you can get to take the active steps, the action steps to actually get on the journey and then have some guide who gets you to your time freedom point as soon as possible. Excellent. I love it. I love it. I think clarity of vision is absolutely important because without that, you don't know if you're supposed to turn left or right, right? If you don't know where you're going. Or you have to do a lot of research until you know, and that is time lost, right? But that's the one yeah. thing that I always say when people say, why should we work with you, right? I say, well, the minimum thing, whether you like me or not, is I can save you a ton of time. And that's one of the things you never get back. Excellent. So something that I think is pretty fascinating, Axel, is you've been able to develop a business in a couple of different industries, totally unrelated to each other. Mm -hmm. uh, what have you found to be sort of the common core uh, instruments in being able to do that or the common core themes that have allowed you to do that successfully? Because listen, a lot of people work their whole life to try and get one business successful. You've been able to do it with multiple and you know, you're still pretty young. So you, you must've figured a couple of things out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> even if those things are make a lot of mistakes, but I'm, I'm kind of interested in your, your approach. What are some of the key things that you have found that have translated from one business to the next to help? Well, I would say I use for one, you know, there is a mindset manual on our website and, and what it actually addresses is this difference between a victim and a creator. And you heard me say earlier, when you asked me, you know, what's the first kind of piece of advice to be the creator of your own journey towards your desired future. And that's actually a common thing that I believe I have found is um, for somebody who wants to create the future financially, mm -hmm. you have to have a creative approach if you want to start a pharmaceutical company because you discovered the, some sort of chemical reaction or gene therapy or whatever that you think could actually really help people mm -hmm. um, and, and become a commercial product. You need to basically be willing to create, be creative. And what that entails, the creativity is kind of an abstract thing. And what mm -hmm. I have learned, what actually makes the difference between those who try and fail versus those, those who try and succeed is that they are accepting and actually almost expecting errors, mistakes, and failures. Mm -hmm. Right. And one of the biggest um, examples for anybody who wants to say, well, how can I see this in practice? Yeah. literally see it and not necessarily just read a book about it and so forth is if you and i'm because of my air force background i'm interested in space right but if you look right now for example at what happens at spacex and mm -hmm. what happens at boeing right i mean boeing has spent billions and billions of dollars to get a little capsule to fly to the international space station and they haven't even succeeded in doing it without people in it 
Right. And when you look at the process, when I say you need to be willing to be the creator that accepts failure, is SpaceX, when you read any of the books, Lift Off or Elon Musk biography or stuff like that, their whole approach is like agile development. You try something, it works, you, you take it, apply, apply the next thing, it doesn't work. Change the next thing, combine it with the first thing that worked, keep going, iterate it. Right. And if you keep doing that, that means you accept failure. Boeing or many of the other traditional NASA government agencies, they try to do the perfect thing that works at the first try. Mm -hmm. But to get there, it costs enormous amounts of time and enormous amounts of money. And I'm sure you would agree, anybody who has ever done anything in investment, regardless which area it is, whether it's stocks or cryptocurrencies or real estate like we do, I'm the first to admit not every deal, especially in the beginning, worked exactly as I wanted to. Right? But you learn yeah. from it and you apply that. And it yes, it may have delayed reaching my time freedom point a little bit, but I was willing to accept it and not say, like many people, by the way, and not just in investing. They get interested. They spend a little bit of time. They might even find somebody that they follow, like an influencer of some kind. Mm -hmm. And they try it oftentimes on their own, not necessarily be because of the influencer told them so or the mentor told them so because that costs money. And it doesn't work out exactly how they want it right from the get-go. And the answer then is not like a good creative person who accepts failure and, and mistakes. No, their reaction is, oh, this thing doesn't work. Right. And I want to never touch it again. Right. And in investing, as you know, you run out of opportunities of different kinds of stuff pretty quickly. It looks like there's a lot, but if you really boil it down, there aren't that many different kinds of investments you can do. And if either one of them doesn't work tremendously on the first try, like Robin Hood, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <you know? laughs> GameStop and stuff like that, or Bitcoin, right? If you bought Bitcoin at 65,000, you're probably going to say this thing sucks. It's a 30 now or 40 or whatever it is, right? I lost 50% of my investment. Right. right. Crypto doesn't work. No, that's not, <laughs> that's what a lot of people do. And then you say, or oh, like I can use another example, right? Like everybody says, I would have wanted to have stocks in Microsoft. I would have wanted to have stocks in Amazon. I would have wanted to have stocks in Tesla. The reality is in the first five to 10 years, they did barely anything. Right. Yeah. So are you willing to say, well, success is when they ultimately take off, not when they take off after six months or 12 months. And that's true with real estate investing too that we advertise and, and, and mm -hmm. suggest is you need to be willing to say, where is this time freedom point and what are all the steps it takes to get there? And I always say, if you're not willing to work with the expectation that it takes eight, 10, 12 years, even in today's market, mm -hmm. then I'm probably not the right person for you because you need to have that long view, especially in real estate. But it also means if you are, let's say 30, 35 right now, Anywhere between 45 and 47, you're done for the rest of your life. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. Well, you, you bring up a really good point because the biggest mistakes that I see are people are trying to make it happen, uh, like you said, too fast, right? So they're trying to hit the home run real estate deal to something or the investment that's highly risky, highly speculative instead of, and I found that real businesses aren't built that way, right? They're built on things that work over and over and over. And maybe not that maybe they aren't home runs, you know, you being from Germany, I'm not sure if you're a baseball fan, but it's like hitting a single every time you're at bat instead of every once in a while trying to hit a home run, but striking out a lot. Uh, I find that there is some, some value in that. And what I get that you're saying is the difference between Boeing and Tesla is 
Boeing's trying to not make a mistake and Tesla is trying to get the mistakes out of the way as fast as they can, right? Yeah, exactly. And learn from every mistake. So the end product from if you go and say, what did you guys envision, for example, with the Falcon 9 rocket that everybody is amazed when the booster comes back and lands like it, it, like like a piece of art, right. Like right in the middle of the circle somewhere in Florida, right? Well, how that actually looked in the end when we all saw it on TV versus what they envisioned when they first said we need to do a reusable rocket. I guarantee you, I mean, I've studied this quite a bit just because of personal interest, you know, but it's very different than what they expected. Same thing for their engines and all these kind of things. Because when you learn from the mistakes, you also try another approach. And it oftentimes doesn't just meet your original expectations, it actually exceeds them. Mm -hmm. Right? I give you an example, more practical, not in rocket science, but in my investments in real estate. Right? I did a 1031 exchange. And we can talk about what that means. But fundamentally, there are two rules to know about it. And that is you need to identify the property or properties you want to buy mm -hmm. list within 40 days. And then you have basically from the day that you sold your original property, six months to close on all the things that you want to buy, whether that's one, two, or several. And in my case, when I did that, I wanted to buy a bunch. And I had made my list. And one of the properties on the list that I had preferred didn't get finished in its renovation on time to stay within the six-month window. Right. So what I ended up doing in the end was to say, okay, well, now I have this chunk of money, and originally I wanted to split it between these two properties, but now I have it, and the one will not be finished, so I basically bought the other one, the remaining one, cash. Right. Right. So that is a reaction now. After that, I went back after all of that was settled and did a refi to get that money back out to buy ultimately a property that had nothing to do with the 1031 exchange. Right. But now, one thing I know now as a lesson learned is I should have put more properties on the list, number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, for anybody who is considering a 1031 exchange where you sell something expensive and buy a bunch of less expensive properties is make sure that the company that you actually engage to say, I want to buy these properties as part of an exchange, actually keep it. Because that was the other thing, right? We put 15 properties on the list. And when I said, hey, this one isn't there, how about number 13? They said, oh, we sold that already. Right. Right. So those two things were lessons learned. Now I'm that much smarter. Now I'm that much better in doing 1031 exchanges and probably have even more leverage in the future. <laughs> and so those kind of things, um, you know, is it a failure if you don't get all the properties you initially um, identify? Maybe. For me, it's still a success in the end if all the money that came out of the original deal is allocated properly and performs much better than it did before. Right. Yeah. Well, I found that just being a business owner, the the one thing I can bank on is what I think is going to happen or how I think is going to go is the one way that it won't go. <laughs> it might be way better. Yeah. It might be that's, way worse, but it won't be the way I think it is. Yeah. And there's actually, you know, there's an interesting thing that I find oftentimes because in my consulting business, I'm dealing with a lot of employees in these companies. Uh -huh. And a little while ago, I, I tried to do like, I'm not a big empirical statistical person, but somebody triggered me to talk about in, in I don't know if it was a podcast or a speech or something like that about employment and getting hired and stuff like that. How will that be after the pandemic? And I started asking people, uh, some of the employees in my client companies where I am an external business owner consultant and they are employees, how much of what was in your job description ever really happens in your job? 
And unequivocally, 100%, and I asked quite a few people said, almost nothing that was in my job description is actually what I'm doing. And wow. that reminds me, you know, to how business is the same way. You think you know what you actually need and how it's all going to be. And in the end, it's like you said, it's very different in reality. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we started helping our business owners do uh, some growth strategies for their money, right? Like that was our foundational thing. We teach this. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the infinite uh, banking concept, but yeah. we teach that to a lot of people. And that was the core of our business. And we still do a lot of that. Right. But but uh, what we found is almost every one of our clients is like, how do we pay less taxes? How do we pay less taxes? Now, 80% of my business is related to helping people pay a lot less in taxes, whether it's research and development credits or these employee retention credits for this year or a bunch of other tax strategies that are out there. And then we still do the other part. But like you said, we started off thinking it was going to be one thing. And here we are a couple of years later, and it's completely the opposite. So it's it's pretty amazing how... <laughs> how business does that if you pay attention either that or you just get swept under the rug i guess but yeah absolutely and i mean we have a similar story because initially i called the business ideal wealth grower because uh, i really feel that residential real estate investing for many many reasons is an ideal investment because it's supported by the government all kinds of stuff sure and then people actually kept asking me what do you mean ideal? In which way is it ideal? And I kind of knew, but also discovered that I can use each and every letter in that word ideal yeah. to describe one of the things that makes residential real estate investing mm. ideal or special, right? Like if you think about it, it has to do with income that you're getting, you know, without really having to pay or do anything for it. It has depreciation uh, and deductions associated for you when you're dealing with tax issues, yeah. right? You're dealing with equity and how you can, with very little equity in the beginning, create a lot of equity in the future, mm -hmm. right? And, and then you have appreciation as we have with inflation. You know, like I mentioned before, we started the recording. I, as from an investor's perspective, I'm actually cheering for inflation. Right. And then there <laughs> yes. is for leverage, right? Where I'm saying, okay, think about it. If you had 10% inflation in, in properties like we have in the last year and this year, and who knows what's next year, but let's just take 2020, 2021, each year 10% inflation, right? If I have a $500,000 portfolio developed by now on my path to the time freedom point, and we have 10% inflation, that's $50,000. If I do 20% down, 80% financing, Mm -hmm. That means I have $400,000 from the bank and $100,000 of my own, but I get the full $50,000. That's 50% 50 return on my $100,000 money. Yep. And if there's 10% inflation, I still have 40% value, right? And the same thing next year and the same thing next year. So now people might say, well, do you really want to have that much leverage? Well, think about it. If I put 50% down, $250,000, my money, $250,000, the bank's money, Right. So I still get the same $50,000, but $50,000 and $250,000 is not 50%. It's only, what, uh, 20%, right? Yep. Uh, yep, 20%. Right. So 50% or 20%, more leverage, less leverage, right? Those kind of things. And that's, you know, um, where I think making those things more or less obvious, right? Where you can actually say, yeah, it's an acronym. It's not just an ideal investment because it's cool and good and so forth, but it's also an acronym and you benefit from all these different things. And I could go on for quite a while <laughs> on what they all mean and how you can take advantage. But a lot of people, when they look at why do you invest, let's say in stocks? Well, because I hope that they increase in value and that's pretty much it. 
Yeah, that's actually but speculation. Not, that's yeah, not investing. Agree. Agree. Yeah. But in real estate, I can say it's not just increase in value, it's these other four things too. Yeah. Yeah. We actually when we put infinite banking with real estate, I can show someone how their dollars are doing 10 different jobs at one time. Yeah. Um, and I've done, I, I know you probably don't know this about me, but I've done about 150 real estate deals myself. So yeah, I've, I've definitely seen that. And, uh, and I love, I love real estate, such a powerful tool, so many good things happening there. So, but I wanted to ask you something you talked about leverage. So I, I do have this thing where I think leverage is really good to a point, Right. And as a scientist, uh, you'll probably get this, but I think that there's a sort of an inverse correlation between efficiency, which what what leverage creates, and durability, right? When people are too leveraged and then things start to fall apart a little bit, they're much less durable because they have a lot of money out there working, maybe less cash. How do you balance in your own personal situation? How do you balance sort of that dependence? sort of durability, which I think cash kind of provides that, or at least access to credit versus, versus the leverage. Do you have a rule or anything you kind of leverage there or how do you do that? Well, I'm, I'm in that sense, trying to stay as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. And for me, the delineation is, am I leveraged? Meaning like I am the one, and, and this is a little bit an esoteric kind of discussion. Uh, if, if you, if you're willing to follow along for a second here. Sure. Ultimately, when we get like, and you said you do a hundred deals, you have a hundred mortgages, you ultimately responsible either through your business or personally for those mortgages. Mm-hmm. But that is a very theoretical approach. The reality and where I make the delineation or where I draw the line is if I can make deals where, and this is why I say out of state is our strategy, where the mm-hmm. property from day one, from the day of closing is cash flow positive. Yep. Then it's re- not really my money; it's the tenant's money that is paying for that leverage for mm-hmm. that mortgage, yep. which yep. frees me. Like in my case with my consulting business, if I am a profitable business, I still have the full opportunity every month, every quarter, every year to have the cash to decide what do I want to do with it, and not necessarily only reduce myself to something that is immobile. Right, right. in mm-hmm. in in the German. Um, language real estate is actually the the word is literally immobile oh wow interesting it's not mobile right so yeah. if you buy a house in germany they would say you bought an immobilia and there are things where you want to say okay not everything should be invested in something that takes 5 10 20 30 years to be fully paid and really performing at maximum and you want to have that flexibility. But as long as I can say to answer your question, where do you draw the line? For me, it's a very simple line. All the things I can do where other people pay for it don't really impact me when it comes to what can I do with my cash. Mm-hmm. That still includes for me to decide. Sometimes I want to use my cash. But right now, I mean, if if you're familiar with the book, The Fourth Turning, I don't know if that's in your list of questions of what's my favorite book right now. No, I don't know that one. <laughs> right now, that's my favorite book. And it basically explains cycles in economic terms, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Uh, the guy um, who wrote it, um, uh, William Strauss and I think Steve Howe, um, what they basically said is if you go back in history, you find out that cycles, big long-term cycles are about mm-hmm. 100 years, 80 to 100 years. Yep, and They're very similar to the seasons of the year. They have spring, summer, fall, and winter. Hmm. And when you take that simplistic view and overlay it to where we are right now 
than we are in winter. And what that means is, as in nature, winter is there to basically clear out the stuff that is wrong, that doesn't work anymore, that has basically outlived its usefulness, and get ready for the new spring. Mm -hmm. And one indicator for that to me is we're seeing these increases in inflation because we're pumping out money like crazy without any value behind it. Right. right? And that is kind of like one of those clearing out processes. You can push it and push it and push it to a certain level. And then it's kind of like a balloon that explodes and it clears the whole thing out. Right. And then we are ready for a new spring now. So that's why I keep quite a bit of cash right now on hand because when, and I'm not saying I know when that is, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's before the end of the decade. Now, sure. does that mean I'm going to hold cash for the next nine years? No, but I'm pretty personally pretty confident it's rather sooner than later. Right. And when that cleaning out happens before we can go into the next spring, which is typically about 20 years, 25 years long, I want to be able to say now that this stuff is available to me, I want to jump on it and take advantage of it. Sure, sure. Totally get that. There's a really good Ray Dalio video that's out there. You've probably seen it where he talks about the, the cycles in the economy. It's about a 20 minute video. And for people who haven't seen it, I highly recommend you Google it, but it's a similar idea to what you're saying. He doesn't take it for over quite that many uh, you know, spans, but he does talk about the short-term cycles and the longer-term cycles. Right. And, uh, and I found that to be tremendously helpful in, in understanding like what happened in 2008 and why, why did these things happen and what is normal and what isn't normal and, and yeah, just kind of getting an understanding of that. Yeah, what's really cool, and, and I, I love what Ray says about that, by the way, but uh, what's really cool as well in the in this fourth turning book is that the authors make a connection to how we as generations, because if you think 20 to 25 years, you know, for each one of those seasons, mm -hmm. it's also a generation of people. Mm. And when you compare, like, for example, the people that came out of World War II, you know, the, the golden generation or whatever. The greatest know, generation, yeah. The greatest generation. They had a certain attitude and certain needs. Mm -hmm. And their kids, the next generation, were almost unwanted, if you think about it, right? If you go yeah. back in history and read about it, if you were a kid in the 60s and early 70s, you weren't really much wanted. And that's where the hippie generation, you know, everybody did whatever they felt was cool because there was nobody really saying, here's what you need to do. And right. then we, after that, get into the millennial generation, which is very different. And then we are in Gen X. And if you look at these generational behaviors, that also means this generation is providing politicians, it's providing business owners, it's providing decision makers, mm -hmm. right? And because of the way they are brought up and the way they have basically learned to be, they react and decide in certain ways, which is in line with these seasons and with, with these cycles. Sure. And what's cool in, in the book, in the very beginning, they're actually talking about how was that 500 years ago, 600 years ago, 300 years. It's not just... We're basically pretending to know that just because we're here right now, this is what it is. But they did the research over many, many, many of these cycles, and they find out it's always related to how people behave. And they behave based on what is the economic situation for their parents and grandparents. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, I wrote that book down. I'm definitely going to check it out. So, uh, well, Axel, I could probably talk to you for several hours here and we would go way into it, but. Hey, we're uh, very aligned, like you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of similar interests and, and, uh, and things. So maybe we'll have to have you back and continue the conversation, but for the people who are uh, listening to the show right now, 
who are you uniquely designed to help? Like with your businesses, who's, who's the perfect person that should reach out to you? And then just tell us how, again, they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So I have identified basically two groups as if you want to call them the target audience. The one mm-hmm. group are people who listen to us or read something or see something on YouTube and say, you know, I don't want my life to be like previous generations life has looked like. I, I want to do certain things with my life that are not predicated on how much money can I make with a job. Mm-hmm. If that's what you want, then our approach, this outer state residential real estate investing strategy is one way to rather early in your life, get to the point where you have that freedom. And then the other group, uh, and I know that second group is much smaller. So that first group is anywhere between, I would say, like out of college, twenty mid-20s to like maybe mid-40s uh, right now. The other group, and it's pretty rare right now, but I'm sure it's going to come back, are people who don't like what has happened to their investments. Mm-hmm. And realize sooner or later, I'm going to go into retirement and I don't really know how to handle it or do I need to work forever. Now, that is a little more tricky proposition because real estate, like we said, is a long-term um, investment strategy. But it's still also true that people who are a little more mature typically have a few more assets, even if they didn't perform as well as they wanted to, but sure. they have more to bring to the table and we can make it work more efficiently from the get-go while the younger, the younger, the second audience probably needs to do some work first to build enough of starting capital to get going. So yep. those are the two groups. And right now, I would say, you know, I, I've, the biggest regret I have is that I didn't start much earlier and spent more time <laughs> learning about this. So I want to really help people that are still early or relatively early in their career to do those things. And I'm not saying this is the one and only way but it's a way that definitely works. And I'm not just saying this theoretically, I'm doing it myself. So I'm a living example that it can work. Fantastic. And, and tell people again where they can find you on the web. Yeah. Well, so like I said, I, I would love to get more subscribers, a little selfish plug here for the idea mm-hmm. of let's grow a YouTube channel. So go there. You can learn a lot for free and please leave a subscription and a, li- a thumbs up if you like a video. And otherwise you can reach me at ideawealthgrower.com. Fantastic, Axel. So I've got one last thing for you here. At the end of the show, I always like to give people 30, 60, 90 seconds to say anything you want to say, whether it's related to what we've talked about or not. But I just wanted to give you a voice to kind of say what you think the listeners should hear. So uh, three, two, one, go. What do you think? Well, when you get yourself in this creator mindset, then that means you can basically do anything that you put your mind to. And you can do it faster if you find people who have done something like what you want to do already. So when you make that connection, find a mentor, find out what you want to do, and then just take action. Don't wait, don't analyze, just take actions and don't be afraid of making a mistake. Perfect. Well, that that sums up a lot of what we talked about today. So I appreciate you wrapping that up with a perfect little bow for us. Uh, Well, Axel, I really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for being a part of it. Yeah. Thank you, Derek. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Big Life Show. If you're a six or seven figure business owner who'd like to be on the show, we'd love to talk about it. Just visit biglifefinancial.com slash guest to get the ball rolling. And if you heard something you loved on the show today, don't be shy about sharing it. And if you do, be sure to use the hashtag smallbusinessbiglife so we can see that you're sharing the love. 
And heck, if we swoon over your post, we might even pass it on to our many thousands of followers to help share the love and the spotlight with you. Speaking of love, if you like today's show, be sure to hit that subscribe button. You know why? Because then you'll never miss another episode and you can get all the motivation, inspiration, and insights with every new episode. Also, if you want to see everything else we're up to on YouTube, social media, or even in real life, you can always visit us at biglifefinancial.com. Well, that's it for today. My name's Derek Van Ness, and I want to personally thank you for being a part of the small business Big Life movement. Now get out there, create more than you consume, love people more than you need to, and believe in magic because yes, it does exist.